Hi guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you that the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny is presented by Gatorade. Gatorade knows there are many paths to greatness. Sometimes it starts with having a goal. Sometimes you need to show a little grit. Sometimes the journey is a grind. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it because greatness starts with G. Also, the NBA is back and our new weekday studio show NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews, is on Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Get the latest info from Woj and Zach Lowe, as well as breakdowns from Richard Jefferson and Kendrick Perkins. That's NBA Today at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap, and also available as a podcast wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks a big route is what you do to cover your tracks after you pee. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And I am joined by, we, we did the math and we think this is his third time. If anyone is keeping track out there like George R. R. Martin fan style um, and doing a better job of it than me, let me know. But it, I'm delighted to be rejoined by the one the only, he might, he's probably not the only, I'm guessing there are other people with his name in the world, Arif Hassan. Welcome back to the show, Arif. Uh, hi. Yeah, I, there's actually, uh, I think, a Nobel laureate or at least a Nobel nominee with my name. It's very humiliating. Um, there's only one other Mina Kimes in the world, and she is, I feel like I, I've probably mentioned this on this very podcast before, like a, a Swedish, she used to be a child. I think now she's like 20 or something. Um, sorry to her. Uh for the Google hits and uh, <laughs> probably weird messages she gets. Um, so Arif, for those who don't know, covers the Vikings for The Athletic. He is the host of the Norse Code Pod, but he also covers the whole league more broadly. And that is very useful today because I um, pulled you into kind of a weird exercise concept for this show. Uh, I, I, so the games this week kind of suck. <laughs> just straight up, like uh, it's not a great schedule. I mean, there there are some interesting ones. Uh, one of which I think involves a team that we're going to talk about. But I also feel like you know part of the reason I wanted to get away from doing the games is you end up just talking about the same teams over and over. And at some point, maybe in a couple weeks, I'm going to do my "Let's Look at the Bad Teams" podcast, which I also think is very useful about halfway through the season and kind of spinning it forward. But um, Instead, today, I pitch this to you as, let's talk about the weird teams, um, which is to say <laughs> a handful of teams that I'm kind of not sure what to make of, right? Like, I feel when we power rank teams, there's I feel there's six or so teams in the NFC who are there every time. And then in the AFC, there's a bit of a jumble. And some of the teams, you know, one of the teams that I think we're going to talk about, people definitely have in the playoffs, potentially. But I sent you four teams that I, I, I said – Help me understand these teams. Let us like look at them six weeks into the season and try to get our hand, our arms around, I don't know, our arms around who they are. One of them is obviously the Vikings because you covered the Vikings. We'll do that right. one at the end. Everybody, if you're listening, take this time and try to guess what teams we're going to talk about. Just take some time. Just let it write it down on a post-it note. Stow it. Let me ask you this: Were there any teams we left out that you also feel this way about that are not amongst the teams we are discussing? Well, when you gave me the list, I was actually I was thinking about like what teams I would qualify as weird that weren't also like in the bad category. Like the Philadelphia Eagles are like fundamentally a weird team, but also they're like not good. So like I wouldn't include them on the list, right? Yeah, um, weird. Weird is like we don't know if they 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 could. These are teams that I think we all believe you and I believe both believe could do things. <laughs> <laughs> like could be certain, <laughs> definitely could be in the playoffs. All of these teams, I think right, it's fair. Right. Yeah. Um, so yes, the, the yes, weird and intriguing. Maybe I should just said intriguing from the jump. That might have been it. Uh, I guess uh, I don't know. Maybe the Denver Broncos uh, would be the Denver. Yes, the Dem the, they're liminal in that way. But I feel like I kind of know what they are. But um, yeah, yes, right. they definitely but fall that's, into that's this. The closest category. I could come that wasn't already on the list. All right. So we're going to talk about four teams. We're also, by the way, at the end of this, going to talk a little bit about the MVP odds right now because um, I'm I live in the world of takesmanship, and this is something I have to talk about every week. So now you have to too, Arif. Um, I've no, been dragged I, in. I actually think this is this at at this point in the season is actually one of the more interesting MVP races in recent memory because there's just a lot of cool and fun candidates. Um, let's start with a 
a team that has a player that is making the odds, and, and that is the Tennessee Titans, a team that is coming off a glorious Monday night victory over the Bills. Did you did you pick them to win? Let's start there. The Titans? No, I absolutely did not pick them to win against the Bills. Um, so the Titans, uh, I think this is re- relevant to what we're doing here. Uh, so, so far this season, came in, beat the Colts, Lost to the Jets. Again, I stress, <laughs> lost to the Jets. Beat the Jags with ease and then beat the Bills. So I think people can understand it's it's very fair for us to call them weird just because of the sheer, uh, just what I just described to you. So at the moment, that it's an extraordinarily winnid, winnable division. They are four and two. Uh, they are They look like the favorites to win. Um, I think... Arif, for me, watching them on Monday, you saw kind of the, I don't want to say best case scenario, but when I was previewing the Titans this year, I thought, okay, what is this team going to be? Mm, probably a bad defense, you know, definitely bad pass defense, and a potentially explosive offense. This is after they did the trade for Julio um, that can you know, sort of sustain what they've done in recent years, even if it looks a little bit different. And that's what we saw on Monday, right? Like the the best, the the iteration of the team that maybe you thought at one point could happen during the offseason. This is what the Titans thought of themselves as heading into the season, I think is maybe the way to put it, is that yeah. game, how they decided that they would win. Um, it's like, you know, I, I think that a lot of these offenses that, that come from like this like McVay, Shanahan, play action, heavy styles, like they only see the passing game as like, I shouldn't say only, but they see it primarily as deep shots that complement the running game. The running game is pretty dominant. It's exactly what we saw. We saw some great explosive playmaking uh, from Tannehill and Julio Jones, including one of the best catches of the year. Um, mm. maybe, like If we so were to good. rank catches, I, I um, think that that's below the DeAndre Hopkins one from last year. But wow, what an So crazy. Catch. And kind of like lost to time because Derrick Henry had such a dominant performance, right? <laughs> and then, and then yeah. also that yeah. A.J. Brown was really who they went to down the stretch. I say that as someone mm-hmm. who was facing A.J. Brown in fantasy and was and has – uh, Henry and was just like locked in. You were pretty happy for like, oh, three quarters then, right? Well, I ultimately won, but I was like, oh, wait, now you're feeding AJ Brown. Now it's over and over <laughs> play action. Chipotle didn't do the trick, but um, yeah, but that I think after the first quarter, like what again, you're right. Like that's what you saw that offense. Like they, obviously it's different from last year. Like they, now it's, it, especially in this game, by the way, they went 11 personnel, 73% of the time in this game. Uh, so for this year, it's been 61%. Of course, under Arthur Smith with Johnny Smith, this was a very heavy 12 team. Anthony Ferkser has just totally disappeared on this team. Uh, yeah, that's strange. That like, he, like, if you were to yeah. pick a breakout candidate on the team, I think it would be him. Like, If you were to do breakout candidates for all 32 teams or something along those lines, I think you would have picked Ferkser on the Titans. Crazy. Um, but sorry, sorry, you were saying, though, about Julio and the explosive plays before I interrupted you and complained about fantasy. Yeah, that was a crazy No, I had catch. nothing to add. Crazy. I was just like, man, wasn't that catch beautiful? That That's was like so the extent beautiful. of my analysis that um, brought me on. I think, I think the other surprise, the, the thing that made this game a little bit different, we'll get to the defense, is um, Tannehill actually seemed relatively well protected, which is interesting because... Um, you know, Titans left tackle Deion Dawkins went down with, with, sorry. Okay. There's some 20% of the audience is like, what, what was it? What are you doing? So Taylor Lewan went down with an injury. Um, and you know, there's been games this year where Tannehill has just been totally under siege, right? Like 9% sack rate. It's near the top of the NFL. And to be fair, he always has a pretty high sack rate, but I think part of what made this game different was not only that the play action pass passing attack started working so well in the second half and overtime, but also that, um, you know, Tannehill looked like he wasn't on the verge of getting decapitated every other snap. Yeah, no, I think the the, the protection holding up is like, and, and it's interesting because like the one thing that you wanted from the Bills uh, heading into the season was a pass rush. And for the first five games of the season, you absolutely saw a fantastic yeah. pass rush. Uh, and so you, you kind of head into this game. I think they were like, um, you know, one and two or something along those lines in terms of their ability to to get off the snap. Um, they they did a really incredible job uh, getting people into the backfield uh, in ways that, like last year, wasn't sustainable, right? Because they were like blitzing AJ Klein all the time and and trying to find ways to create pressure. But here, um, you've got like AJ Epinesa, who's finally developed, and uh, you've got that pass rush, and it just didn't show up in this game, and that was a, probably a big part 
of, of why, you know, Tannehill felt, you know, a lot more comfortable in the pocket. And maybe, you know, that's like the product of, of, you know, the running game. And, you know, that's kind of the thing that, that, that nerds and film heads always kind of clash heads over is how much does the running game slow down a pass rush? Mm. And in turn, like, how does that impact the, the passing game overall? I, I would imagine that, you know, we're a running back to matter in their in their parlance, that Derrick mm-hmm. Henry would be that guy, right? Like, yes, I, I feel like if you're going to sacrifice, uh, you know, a pass rush to try and stop up some gaps, it would be in this game. Right. And it didn't work, obviously, but that's that's kind of how you would envision it. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I, let's talk about I want to talk about Derrick Henry a little bit in the MVP conversation, like more. I guess universally and just kind of take a moment to pause on what he's doing. And, but um, yeah, I think you're right about that. I also think, you know, Tannehill, when he was blitzed, he looked really good. Like he had um, all of the answers and it was, I imagine very heartening for Titans fans, not just because, like I said, this is what they envisioned, but because it's been so inconsistent prior to this game. This is, this is an offense that last year, really throughout the last three years, I mean, since Tannehill came, uh, has ranked really, really high in just about every statistical category, both running and throwing the ball. But so far this year, they've been fourth in rushing DVOA and 21st in passing. It just hasn't really come together. I mean, you know, everyone's complaining about the how they're using less play action uh, under Todd Downing. But to me, it goes beyond that. And a lot of it really has been, just goes back to the offensive line underperforming. Um, we'll see what happens with Luan potentially out. I think he had a concussion. So um, Kendall Lamb came in relief. But... Like, I, I don't think just, in, you know, it, as we try to get our arms around this team, setting aside the defense, which I'm about to get to, I think what we saw out of this offense on Monday night is something we'll, we can see again. But, you know, I mentioned they used a lot of um, three wide receiver sets, Arif. So obviously that's A.J. Brown and um, Julio. They they signed Josh Reynolds from the Rams and then he who used who actually was their wide receiver three in Los Angeles for a while, but he was a healthy scratch for this game. And then Nick Westbrook Akine comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And was yeah. awesome. Some clutch catches too. Yeah, no, for Truly. sure. Uh as a as a Josh Reynolds dynasty owner that was waiting for him to oh, go to another no. team, it hurt my heart a little bit. <laughs> oh Lord. Um, although He's fast. I, I was prepared for it because they signed him before they acquired Julio, right? And so I was just yes. like, okay, well, I guess I guess that's where we are. Um, but no, I think uh, to your point about play action, this seems to be happening league wide where a lot of, again, the Shanahan McVay style offenses with a lot of play action, mm-hmm. we're not seeing as much of uh, around the NFL. In fact, if you take a look at play action that only occurs on like running downs, which is first and 10 or less, second and 10 or less, or third and two or less, um, because teams like to run the ball in second and 10, I can't help that. Um, <laughs> the top seven in in play action rate are all people that just don't have experience in the league. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Taylor Heineke, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Davis Mills. Those are all players without much experience. And then eighth is Lamar Jackson, where play action with him is just different, right? You can't really get yes. that. And we, we fold in a bunch of the RPOs into play action in these statistics anyway. So a lot of these play action heavy quarterbacks, like Carson Wentz, like Russell Wilson, um, they're not throwing under play action as much as they did in the past. Um, and I think that just kind of league wide, there's been kind of an understanding that defenses have been honing in on at least the boot element of those play actions. Um, I've been watching this a lot because uh, Cousins got absolutely demolished by both the 49ers and the Packers um, two years ago uh, on, on boot action when they just decided, you know what, we will let Dalvin Cook run over us uh, on, on the backside of runs. We're just going to have... Uh, a defensive end just crashed on the quarterback mm. on boots and and that's that's killed him. And so I think a lot of offenses saw this coming and have implemented offenses that have a lot less play action. For Cousins, that's worked out really well for him, which I think is a surprise to a lot of people. But for players like Tannehill, it's been a lot more uneven. Teddy Bridgewater, another good example, a lot more uneven when when you remove the the play action element um from from their game. So uh I think that's kind of what's driving a lot of this. Do you think there's anything to, so in this game in particular, the play action pass was not successful early on. And then later on, I think, I don't know if it's that, I, I, I hear what you're describing in terms of how defenses play. Although Tannehill is more of this classic, just hard play action, straight drop, right? Um, no, that's true. Yeah, he does a lot of um, it, it. It really started working 
in the second half. And then of course, in the fourth quarter, um, I think is when I think he went like three for three or something on those clutch, all those clutch throws to AJ Brown were all play action. Do you think there's something to like, you know, just the linebacker, the bills linebacker is just kind of getting sloppy as the game went on and they're losing a little bit of their eye discipline um, because I, I guess, you know, what I'm wondering is like, okay, are we going to see like, what sort of Titans offense might we see going forward? Yeah. Um, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause like generally speaking at a broad level, that doesn't turn out to be the case where play action right. is not, um, contingent on like the number of runs or doesn't really work. But I think in this game, I feel like you could see it happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I'm going to. Derek Henry breaks every line. rule known to like nerd football. And we're, again, we're p- putting a pin in that. But you could see right. it happen. Yeah. You could see, um, like, the Bills linebackers were really just out of it as it went on. And um, the Titans. Yeah, really I, I think part of it's that. also that if you have starting level linebackers, you know, that's probably less likely to be the case. And then also you throw in the fact that. You know, Derrick Henry is running all over people and you just you don't want to give up another 76 yard run. Yeah. Uh, and so you kind of overcommit. So it feels like in this game that that's what we saw. Um, I think that if you take a look at like the false steps committed by linebackers, certainly. Um, and I know that there's a way to do this with the dots. There has to be. Um, but if you if you if you checked out false steps per play action, is that going to be the stat? Somebody um, I bet it increased this. pretty dramatically in this game. Yes, yeah, I know Josh Hermsmeyer at five thirty eight. Okay, yeah, a a distance traveled for linebackers on play action. It was actually a pretty good piece, um, and uh, and you know he found that that was kind of the element that was that was kind of key because when linebackers didn't bite on play action, those those passes were were a lot less effective, and so that's the key. Um, that I think is is what we saw from the, when we're talking about you know, the Bills linebackers lacking eye discipline or following the wrong keys or, or whatever. I think that's what we saw is a lot of movement um, at, at the snap or post snap that opened up a lot of those passes because it gives you those passing windows over the middle of the field. So the good news for the Titans, based on everything we've discussed, is that they get to play the Chiefs <laughs> next week. Um, <laughs> the bad news... Now we get t- to know who they are. That's, yeah, yeah, the you're bad right. news, news for the Titans is their defense also has to play the Chiefs. And I, I guess that's where I'll get to the dark side of this team. Uh, so just brutal injuries across the board, but especially in a secondary that's already been struggling yeah, in particular at, at yeah new injuries at cornerback um so Caleb Farley ACL out for the season Christian Fulton went out during the game I don't know what the status of that one is I don't you know but um you know th- that this already was a weakness of a team that's 27th against the pass 21st against the run uh now I think the one and this really showed up in the Bills game in, the, in this game, but has showed up at various points during the season. Is the Titans' defensive front actually looks pretty good, right? And that's, um, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, of course, who had the big stop, but also Danico Autry, Harold Landry's having like the, a crazy season just in time for his new contract. Really, really, really impressive in this game, by the way. Um, so up front, I actually feel pretty good about the Titans. It's just everything behind them outside of the safeties is a cause for concern yeah no for sure and, and we can't forget jeffrey simmons the hero of the qb sneak yes um did a great job yeah. uh yeah i think i think harold landry is is the highlight of that front it's doing a lot uh, as to the christian fulton point i think they just put him on ir so oh. they're not going to have him for a while uh they're going to yeah, trade no. right this team has to do a trade for a cornerback because all they I, I, mean, I, I think so the problem is that there's like multiple teams including the one i cover that might be that in the market corners. to trade for a corner. Dude, yeah. Janoris and Jenkins. I don't know that. Was Not that? good. Jack Rabbit Jenkins was a problem in this game. Yeah. I mean, if you, you don't have the, the corners that you want, you've got somebody who's so volatile like that in Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I, I just feel like that's somebody where you kind of train your, um, your, your quarterback on and, and, and just kind of isolate. And, you know, you've got, you know, you know, the bills in particular, you've got those receivers that have the ability to pull out multiple moves right before, you know, they kind of unleash the route that they want to go on, not just, you know, Stefan Diggs, but I mean, Cole Beasley does that as well. Emmanuel Sanders does that really well. Um, you know, that's, that's something that you kind of just train your quarterbacks on. And I think that that's going to be a consistent problem for them. Um, you know, especially, you know, they don't have Christian Fulton. They don't have, you know, Farley wasn't a full-time player, but he was part of that rotation. Um, it's it's tough, right? Like, 
the reason that, you know, Kevin Byard, you know, was an all pro safety not too long ago is because he had the support around him and he didn't have like all pro level players, but he had the support around him to kind of hunt for picks. And now he has to cover for all, all that's happening. So yeah, it's, it's a, (sighs) it's a huge problem. And then of course, like you said, they're, they're about to play the chiefs. We're going to find out kind of how much the front can, can help cover for this exhausting, uh, I think is maybe the best way to put it. This is yeah. the remnant of of the past numbers that the Titans had. I I really don't know. I mean, like like I said, I like the front, but it just doesn't feel like they have the guys back there for this game. And it, it um, they did draft. They also drafted uh, Husky Elijah Molden, who I really like, who who plays in the slot, um, and who I think has shown some Born promise. Really, Elijah on. M's in that draft, yeah, crazy, yeah, huh. um, yeah, I I. I just to kind of put a bow on this, I think the Titans kind of are who we thought they were, right? Um, if they do pull off a trade for a corner, I think there's a chance that the def- like a decent corner, there's a chance that the defense has shown enough or has enough sort of actual players, guys up front, and then the safeties. I think that they can approach average and this this offense does have enough explosive potential certainly to win the division but the secondary just is going to, unless that a trade happens i the secondary is such a massive issue that i just don't know i just can't see them going much further than that yeah i just i don't know who is in a position to trade away a corner cuz i think maybe the broncos and i can't actually think of another team right and you know trading for like ronald darby is not probably not going to save your season um CJ Henderson had already happened. That's already like it already which, happened. I yeah. guess the Panthers. I guess the Panthers could trade a corner, but you know, it feels <laughs> that'd like, be so weird. Yeah, that would be very funny to pull off three cornerback trades in one season. Uh, like I'm looking at the bad teams, and it's like, I guess the Giants. They're bad could... in part because they don't have corners to trade away. <laughs> yeah, right. None of these teams. I mean, like the Lions, but I don't really see. I don't know. Um, all right. Another team that I have, I don't think I've talked about this team once this season. So I apologize to the entire city of Cincinnati, a very passionate, dedicated fan base. Um, and a fan base that's feeling pretty good these days. I feel like at least that's the kind of the, my, my gauge on the sentiment because their football team is also foreign too. Uh, so the Bengals are coming off of just like a thumping. Uh, fair to say, which, you know, of the Lions, it's the Lions, but good teams thump bad teams. So just to kind of recap what we've got so far this year, um, the Bengals beat the Vikings in overtime in the opener, lost to the Bears. That was the game where uh, Fields came in at the end, beat the Steelers, beat the Jaguars in a close one, lost to the Packers in a close one, and then the, the Lions something. So I'm going to start with what I think has been, to me, the biggest pleasant surprise, aside from Jamar Chase's whole existence, which is I think this is a good defense. Do you disagree with that premise? I don't. I'm, I didn't say elite. I didn't say, like, top five. But I think they are... <laughs> You're getting are, very defensive about this take. I get very defensive <laughs> about everything. I, I just I always I already hear the people yelling at me but i th- this has been like to me one of the pleasant surprises of the season so far yeah well it's interesting you take a look at you know one of the statistics that kind of tracks over time um like net yards per attempt like are they are they getting yeah. to the quarterback are they preventing yards downfield and they're like fifth they're the fifth best net yards per attempt defense in the nfl on passing plays and i don't think uh a lot of people me included expected this like i expected the defense to play a lot better because you know, I've got a lot of faith in Jesse Bates. I, I like mm-hmm. kind of, I, I wasn't huge on Trey Hendrickson in terms of the money that he costs, but I like him as a player, right? Like Same. I think that, yeah, I, I think that he can, you know, help supplement that pass rush. I don't know. They've been doing kind of a lot at all three levels. Logan Wilson was an underrated rookie last year. Um, and, and he's, he's kind of come on pretty big. So yeah. there are elements of this defense that, that you can be pretty happy with. And then you take a look at, you know, well, if they're pretty good, you know, throwing at defending the throw, you know, do they have the ability to stop the run? And, you know, they're allowing 3.9 yards per per rush attempt. So they've got a fairly even looking defense. There are still moments where it feels like they're going to give up a big play here or there. But for the most part, like from down to down, they do a pretty good job. And I think a lot of that just has to do with, you know, they've got at least, you know, a marquee player or a player that's about to become a marquee player like Logan Wilson at every level of the field. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think that this defense is pretty quality. Like, again, I, I, I wouldn't put him at this like elite 
you know, qu- uh, level or anything like that. But they're good. You, they're thirty. They're, they're thirty they're points good. per drive. Like it's, wow, it's not. Yeah. They're solid. Yeah. Did, wait, did, yeah. I just realized something. Did you preview the AFC North with me randomly, like super randomly? That's the team, the division. Yeah, I, I think you wanted me to get some shots at Ben. So I yeah. we worked on that together. Feels yeah. right. Um, I remember. I'm having a flashback now. I'm looking at this depth chart, and I remember we talked about the Mike Hilton signing. And you were like, well, I'm, I hope they use him right, correctly, um, and blitz him. And they have. They have been blitzing him. Um, the signings, I think, all have really worked out for them on that side of the ball between um, Hendrickson, which, again, like you and I, neither of us really liked the money, but uh, um, Stancy just texted me and said, I'm right, you did come up for the AFC North. We didn't like the money, but liked the player. Uh, Chidobia Wuzier? Great signing. Yeah, that was a good and signing. That's super solid for them. Yeah. Uh, so, and then there's also the signings like we didn't get to see DJ Reader last year, which was a signing yeah. that I loved when they did it, but then he immediately gets hurt and misses the season. And I think you talked about how solid they've been against the run. I think the the interior defensive line depth is a big reason why. You know, there's there, there's nothing crazy going on with this defense. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, a, you've, you've, DJ Reader is is. I don't know, maybe a top five nose tackle. Yeah, possibly. He's very he good. Put him in that situation. Yeah, he was. And he's got DJ good. Hill, who's a quality, like he's a starting quality nose tackle that sometimes plays three for them. Sometimes, you know, just occupies a gap for them. Um, you've got Larry Ogunjobi, who played nose in Cleveland, right? And yes. is, is playing three here. Um, they've got a front that's, you know, built to help stop the run. And then they also drafted Tyler Shelvin. So uh, that kind of allows them to to lighten the box. I think you know a lot of teams are doing this, right? Like the both both the LA teams are doing this. Or split safety um, lighter boxes. Yeah, they do it too in yeah. Cincinnati. I have noticed that a bit. Yeah. Uh, Lou Anaramo is the coordinator. So, shout outs to the defense. The offense is what confuses me and what I want to talk to you about. Because <laughs> like defense, I'm just like solid. Yeah, like I'm literally. You can't see me now, but I'm giving a thumbs up. I I don't know if this is a good offense or if it will be. Um, so right now. Most advanced metrics, the offense, not talking about Joe Burrow, the offense as a whole is below average, slightly below average. Um, I think the run game has kind of been underwhelming. Although in the Lions game, uh, Chris Evans, the rookie, w- you know, came up huge for them. I'm mixed play too, but uh, sort of filled that Gio Bernard role, right? They have uh, mm-hmm. P. Ryan. I think he had a COVID test or something. He's not hurt, if I remember correctly. But, um, Evans really likes sort of uh, stepped into, I think that's kind of an element that's been missing to their offense, which is exciting. But I, the offense basically to me, it looks pretty similar to last year. Only the offensive line is a little, is, is better for sure. And then Jamar Chase is awesome. Like, yeah. what, am I missing I, anything? Like, how do you feel about Burrow? Like, do you, how do you feel about the scheme and Zach Taylor? Like, what do you think about this the offense as a whole? I Well, I think that the offense has, a lot of, I guess, potential to it. I think that if you shift the play calling to be a m- bit more of a pass-heavy offense, I think you're in a really good spot. Because yeah. I think the issue is it's not necessarily that the running game is good or bad or that the passing game is good or bad. It's that um, because passing is just generally superior to running and because they put themselves in situations where you know, throwing the ball uh, becomes kind of a necessity instead of a luxury, um, you end up with with an offense that has quality, that has got an opportunity to to score points that you're just not kind of letting score points, not letting them go downfield. And I know Burrow is not like this deep downfield passer or anything like that, but with Jamar Chase, you can just kind of uncork it every so often. I just kind of want them to take advantage of the fact that they've got, you know, a fun receiving core because it's not just Chase. You know, Tyler Boyd is great, right? Um, mm. Yeah, and he's healthy too, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. I know Higgins is fantastic. I thought, you know, he was kind of, you know, lost in the conversation for rookie receivers last year. So you've got like a really great um, a group of players and, you know, there's a lot of concern about the pocket. And, and you mentioned that the offensive line is performing pretty well. Jackson Carmen is shoring up the interior, which is where the primary problem for them was last year more than on the outside. Um, and the pressure rate, I mean, Joe Burrow has like the, the 25th pressure rate out of like 34 quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Like, that's great. Like that's, if that was the concern, uh, you know, he's doing a, a good job of getting rid of the ball before pressure arrives. Say, yeah, he's, he's getting it out yeah. quick. So that's kind of one yeah. of those where I'm not sure how indicative of that is of the offensive right. line. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily, yeah, the offensive line quality, but he's doing a great job of making sure that that, that pressure never comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when when that pressure isn't coming, 
that which is the other part of the equation um you know he is letting plays develop and he's holding on to the ball so that you know you know chase gets open oh. whoever gets open he'll hang in there and, yeah yeah and so like his his time to throw on 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 plays where where an offensive lineman might lose a snap um is lightning quick and it's time to throw where where his offensive lineman or his running back holder in pass protection is just long enough to to it, it's it's a really nice mix and that's the kind of pocket management that made Burrow, I think, such an interesting prospect because he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's really accurate. He's really smart. But that pocket management stuff, that's really difficult to find, to find a guy that will get rid of the ball quickly when you need to and will hold on to the ball when it's advantageous to. Uh, and so that, I think, because I think his average time to throw is average across the league. But when you watch his games, it doesn't feel like that. He's Does either, not, yeah. Yeah, he's either holding onto the ball to wait for, for Chase or Higgins or whoever to get open or he's just getting rid of it right away, which is exactly how like he beat the Vikings. He just got rid of the ball right away. Mm. So um, yeah, I, I think that that, I think that you should just embrace that if you're the Bengals and say, Hey, you know, I, I know that, you know, we like all these elements of the offense. We want to use them in a bunch of different ways, but yeah, just throw the ball. You're going to score points. Yeah. Just throw the ball. It's, I, I think that's my only frustration here is like, I think um, like Burrow to me, he looks great. He looks more, he looks more comfortable moving. And he, you talked a little bit about his pocket management. I think that's always been what's the accuracy is one thing, but then the other thing is like the pocket movement has always been what I've really loved about his game. And it feels like with every progressive game since he came back from the injury, he looks a little bit more comfortable moving. In fact, in the Lions game, he actually was scrambling around a little bit. Um, and that's huge, especially given how much empty they run, right? That if he is a threat to take off, making defenses respect mm-hmm. that a little bit. But um sometimes when I watch this offense, I just kind of feel like there's a lot of three and outs and things don't come easy to them. And yeah, they, they make it, was, it really hard. They yeah. make it hard. And it, which is frustrating too. Cause I think um, our mutual internet friend, Seth Galena wrote about them. I want to say like a couple weeks ago, but I, it, he wrote about the scheme and how it's, this is my words, not him. It's kind of like diet Rams right now. <laughs> like, um, because <laughs> you know, it is obviously Zach Taylor comes from that school. That's so there's a lot of similar, concepts it's 11 it's outside zone but also it's a lot out of empty which is now what the rams are doing a lot it's just not as successful when they do it and it's not because of burrow right it it is because of the concepts it doesn't really feel like um they're the way sean McVay like sets up plays like integrates the run in the past to which results in like these defense is constantly being on till which of course results in the wide open receivers the Bengals aren't really doing that um and so I think like it, it, it's a little bit frustrating watching them because they have all these weapons and I really like the players and God knows Jamar Chase over Panay Twitter has been vindicated. Congratulations, Bengals fans. But it, it's kind of like watching a bunch of disparate pieces that don't feel like they're being used to their uh, full extent right now. And so I guess looking at this team as a whole, like to me, this feels like a, a, a decent team with a good defense and under optimized offense. Yeah, and I think maybe the best way, or not the best way, I think one indicative stat of how under-optimized this offense is and how often, you know, they're being forced to throw on third and long is that they're like, they're tied, Cincinnati Bengals are tied for eighth in adjusted net yards per attempt uh, when they're throwing the ball, right? Like, Burrow has a relatively high sack percentage, you know, to teams in his area, but otherwise he's doing very well. Um, They're eighth, right? That's pretty good. But in expected points, you know, they dropped to 16th. Uh, and that's in part because they're really only throwing the ball on third and long. And they, I mean, they should not be content getting four yards on first and 10 get 20. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting fact. All right. Let's take a quick break and then come back and talk about a team that I think is definitely the most chaotic of the four teams. Maybe definitely the most chaotic team in the NFL, actually. So you guys can try to guess what that is. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Whoa! Yeah! 
Okay. Chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, chaotic good. Depends on who you root for, but they're definitely chaotic. It's your New Orleans Saints. So, um, by the way, I, I actually, I'll go chaotic neutral, but that's me being... Such a nerd. Oh no, me just trying not to offend anyone. So the Saints are three and two, coming out of the bye. Uh <laughs> the Seahawks uh, on Monday. Oh, God, I can't believe America has to watch Seahawks in another subsequent night. That's, okay, that's so not worth it. Saints, to, the, to the point of the chaos, the Saints come out, beat down the Packers in week one, then they get beat down by the Panthers, then they beat the Pats, then they lose to the Giants, and then they beat Washington. None of that makes any sense together. Um I don't even know. Let, well, let's start with the offense, the the agent of chaos himself, Jameis Winston. First, this is an offense that right now ranks ninth in passing and 17th in rushing. Um, are they letting Jameis cook? Let's start there. Can he even cook with the tool, with the ingredients <laughs> that are in his kitchen? Because I think that's probably yeah, a no, better I, way to put it. Yeah, I, I would say that they aren't um, giving him an opportunity to truly cook, as it were. But man, is he trying. Like he absolutely loves trying, trying to make, trying to make the most of the situation. Let's just put that away. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it makes like the saints uh, are like top two or three in time to throw. And Jameis Winston is number one in pressure rate. And I don't think that's because of the offensive line. <laughs> I think that's because oh! that's fundamentally, I think it's who James. This offensive line is a mess right now. In his, I, I think you're right. I totally think you're right. But I also think this, like I, the whole case for James New Orleans was like, oh, it's a perfect situation for a quarterback. You got Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and Sean Payton and this, the best offensive line in the NFL. And then like you lose all of the wide receivers, all of them. And then the offensive line, like at, at one point in the last game, I don't think any of their OG starters, maybe, maybe, oh, gosh, Armstead was out. They've lost them all at one point or another. So I do think that is very relevant to the evaluation of this offense. It is. I guess I guess I should say it is hard to get a 50% pressure rate. It requires a concerted effort on both the parts of the offensive line and the quarterback. Um, so I will say that. But I, I think that I think that if the offensive line was good, he would hold on to the ball for four seconds. Like okay. I think that's so that's kind of what is and, and James Hurst actually has been playing fairly well, I think. So uh, there, there are those elements to kind of keep track. But um, yeah, I mean, like Teron Armstead's not playing up to his level. And obviously he's only played, I think, what, like three of their five games, something like that. Yeah, McCoy, um, they moved Ruiz to center, then Throckmorton, Throckmorton, the best name in the NFL. To go. I mean, it's just been a total mess. So yeah, um, I think it's, yeah. The, yeah, the whole team, Ruiz is not, way. yeah. Ooh, gee, yeah. The whole team is banged up. But let's see what the offense, I mean, the wide receiver is, good Lord. That's that's tough, especially when you move one of them to tight end. <laughs> you're just like you're just out of receivers. You just you just ran out. You can't go to the store for more. Um, I don't know the the receiver situation in New Orleans and Detroit it has got to be both neck of them combined have like yeah some of the worst receiving cores I've seen in the past five years in the NFL. Like it's thin. <sighs> So my, 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 my beloved Marquez Callaway has started to shine a little bit. Granted, one of those shining moments was a Hail Mary, which was a, a very well-thrown Hail Mary, in, very poorly defended. Uh, love to see it. But it, I think it's, it's, it's <laughs> tough because um, like that's who Callaway should be. He should not be your ex-receiver. He should yeah. be, yeah, you, know, no, like, you know, the Z. And... If Michael Thomas is back, I actually think the, the conversation is really different because um, everybody kind of moves no, I, into I, I think for sure position. because you've you've got a lot of people that you kind of feel comfortable doing that. Like you've got Callaway, you've got Kenny Stills. Um, that's kind of all Chris Hogan ever did. I don't know if you really want to have him out there on the field at this point, but you know th those are your guys, and then maybe you can have little Jordan Humphrey, you know, catch a contested, you know, third and three or whatever, right? Did you, did but, you call him uh, little Jordan Humphrey? Did it sounded like no, you said little Jordan Humphrey. He said little. No. Okay, just checking. Um, oh, trick ones. <laughs> this been hurt. Uh, you uh, know what's been confusing to me, and I would love to hear your thoughts on why isn't Alvin Kamara getting more targets as a receiver? Because it's Jameis Winston. What, <laughs> what else do you need? Damn you! Damn you! <laughs> clearly, they but that they're not. They're not like. They're not like, hey, Jameis, go let it rip. Like, clearly Peyton is trying to go run heavier, safer, dial it back. 
Um, but I don't know. It's just, I, it, I feel, I feel like that me. unsettles him. I feel like now that he, now he has to let it rip in his opportunities. <sighs> um, it, it's all met. The, the, so the receiver thing messes everything up pr- pr- more than the line stuff to me, because you just watch the way defenses play them and they don't like whoever is like not Callaway or I guess Deontay Harris has been pretty good, but you don't feel defenses aren't defending the entire football field against this team right now. Um, which is again, you have James Wisdom. It's like a huge arm, but the offense just feels very like hampered at the moment. And I, I get that, but I do think like it's really hard to evaluate them because of all the injuries. So I don't really know even, I said, we, I tried to get my arms around these teams. I don't even really know what to say about this offense. Like I do, you, do you think Jameis is playing better? I mean, he is throwing fewer interceptions, so that's something. <laughs> He's got that going for him. Um, yeah, I think I don't like it. It's tough for me to figure out, which I guess doesn't help because that was kind of the premise of the segment. But um, I, I think that I think there's a uh, let me let me do, let me be definitive here with Michael Thomas. And then if the offensive line is settled to some degree, I still think I still believe this can be an explosive offense. I, I think explosive maybe is the the right word, because I don't yes. know if it'll be necessarily efficient. Um, that's kind of who Jameis is. But I, I think that if if you have kind of a, a pretty good situation for him, um, I think you've got, you know, a top 15, top 16 offense. You get a top half offense, right? And I think that the kind of explosiveness that you get from this offense, the kind of uh, offense that you can generate on, like, playoff runs, right? Like, that's how Flacco and Manning did it as underdogs, is that they just, you know, they weren't necessarily very good offenses in the regular season, but because they were pretty high-volatile offenses, like high-volatility offenses, um, they were able to just score points um, at key moments in games. Uh, and and make the Super Bowl runs. And I think that if you've got the elements of a complete offense where you've got actually a, a pretty decent tight end group, but you've got an offensive line group that's that's working well for you, you've got a running back group that's working, you've got at least a complement of wide receivers that can do a couple of different things, um, then I think that you've got an opportunity to to create uh, you know some mess and and hopefully benefit from that mess. I love. Well, that. I mean, that's I think that's how underdogs do it. They have to mess yeah. things up and then they have well, to benefit from it. I I also think that this defense could be good enough to sustain that sort of volatility on the offense. Um, a defense that has also been horribly horribly hurt by injuries this year and right like with Marcus Davenport, uh, Quan Alexander. Yeah. Now David Onyemata, which was a sneaky loss up front on the defensive line, does come back from his six week suspension. I think that's enormous. But without him, this huge. Uh, yeah. they have held up. I mean, second against the pass, nine against the run. Like, and they're not really getting like a ton of pressure outside of Cam Jordan. But the coverage has well, been we're, good we're enough. Seeing a little bit from, we're seeing a little bit from Peyton Turner, and that's kind of I think. Yeah. Why we're all surprised by how well this defense that's is doing true. is because these the rookies, kind of like you know that Camaro rookie class with like Marshawn yeah. Lattimore, but these rookies are doing work on defense, right? You've got Peyton Turner, you've got Pete Werner, you've got Paulson Debo as a defensive back. Um, yes. The first, second, third round pick, they're all contributing and they're all playing, you know, well above their positional averages. Um, it's and it's the same, so that's it's the same defense, right? Like still a ton of man. I, th- I think they're blitzing less than um, recent years, but they're still asking those DBs to hold up. Now, Debo has been kind of up and down a little bit, but they definitely, like he is, the, he's, the, he's the guy there. Uh, I think, you know, I know they traded for Bradley Roby, but um, Adebo's gotten just a ton of snaps. And then Marshawn Lattimore, like, I don't think you could have asked for more after giving him that contract. He's been spectacular for them. Um, so uh, just kind of, again, thinking on this team holistically, like getting Davenport, Onyemata, and Alexander back, and then, of course, Mario Davis is still Mario Davis, this should be a good defense. Like, the question going into the season was always depth, and they have taken the depth hit. And God knows... We can't predict what's going to happen going forward. But like this is the Saints are a team that, yes, they're chaotic, but I think there's a lot of case, there's a big case for optimism here because they're getting so many guys back as the season goes on on both sides of the football. Yeah, no, for sure. Animata was was quite good last year. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this defense is like a lot of players that just generally 
don't get their due. Like even even Cameron Jordan, right? I don't think it's you know put in that conversation with high level edge rushers. But you know Anyamata, Jordan, Demario Davis has played like one of the top two interior linebackers good. in the NFL for the past couple yep. of years. So good. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore up there. When we talk about good young corners, he his name doesn't come up very often, and it very much should. Um, I don't know how Malcolm Jenkins is doing it at this age, but you know he's playing pretty well. Like it's it's a bunch yeah. of players that just don't get their due. Um, and I think by the time, you know, obviously if, if players remain healthy, but I think by the time you get to questions about who's going to be the wild card in the NFC, you know, that's going to come up and people are going to be able to talk about some of these players. All right. Well, let's move to our our final weird team. Also in the NFC wild card contender, the one you cover closely, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, here, here's a text I wrote to our mutual friend, Nate Tice, who's from Minnesota. Let me find it. Nate, let me find it. It's really relevant to this conversation, which is why I have to. So I was watching Kirk (laughs) Cousins on the plane. I wrote, Nate, hmm, yes. I'm watching Cousins, and I am having (laughs) my- Wait, did you just text him, hmm? I wrote one of the texts. Hmm, and he wrote, (laughs) yes. I wrote, I'm watching Cousins, so the last game, right, the Panthers game. And I'm having my annual, quote, is Kirk Cousins good, quote, feeling. Please pull me out of this. <laughs> so I mean, he you, sent me a DM. Yeah, well, because you, you, you were like, in this podcast together. I, I, dude, he was dealing. <laughs> so I, I just, you, you've obviously watched him closer than anyone. Um, what's behind, like, so let's, let's just put, let's say one thing first. He's playing well. Anyone who disagrees with that is just simply not watching. So I guess my question for you is why is he playing well and is it sustainable? Uh, I don't know if it's sustainable because he has so often had these like incredible months of play where, and then the following month he like just drops off, right? Like he won like NFC offensive player of the month last year, I think in October, like that, I mean, he, he does that sometimes. So I don't know if it's sustainable, but it is interesting because it's occurring in an entirely different environment for him the vikings on passing downs are running 11 personnel a lot more than they used yeah. to some of that's because Irv smith got hurt but some of it's because kj osborne is so playing awesome. out of his mind as he's a wide so receiver good. Three. sorry he's fantastic he's yeah so he played zero offensive snaps last year it's, what the it's, hell? it's wild where did this dude come <laughs> but, from one two three like how many teams did you put up against the vikings like dallas when they get gallop back the bucks oh yeah the bucks obviously um i, I, mean, I feel like damn. there's like maybe Maybe six, like I don't know. It's kind of weird because if you take a look at wide receiver threes, people who are wide receivers that are the third most targeted wide receiver on the team, you end up with some funny names, right? Like Antonio Brown, obviously, but like Kadarius Tony, who's clearly not going to be wide receiver three going yeah. forward for the Giants, right? Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I mean, obviously the Bengals, we just talked about them. I'd probably take that group above above this receiver group, but yeah, it, there's not many. Right, would you with the emergence of Osborne like this? Oh, and the Bills, I think that's sorry, I think you, we you, probably rounded that up. You would take the Bengals wide receivers over the Vikings wide receivers, yeah. I mean, obviously, Justin Jefferson's the best out of the, this whole group, yeah. Right? But uh, I think Jamar Chase and T Higgins, um, are huh. probably they could be better than Adam Thielen. When, when I was watching, I was like, damn, Adam Thielen's still so good, like he's very good. He's like, I don't so want to like diminish the that. touchdown in the Panthers game. Okay, sorry, you so you were explaining why why things are different from Cousins. Please continue. Yes, more 11 person, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's a different offense. They're running play action a lot less. We just talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's getting rid of the ball super quick, so faster than he ever has. Yeah. Um, I think his average this year is something like 2.33 so seconds. I, pu- I pulled it up. Right? And it's, he's fifth in the NFL in release this year. Last year, he was eighth slowest, to put it in context. Yeah, yeah. He's he's traditionally quite slow. And some of that had to do with how often he was in play action last year, right? And I think that his time to release on play action throws is still like 3.04 seconds, quite slow, um, which is standard for the Vikings. Um, but on non-play action passes, that's where he's really ramped it up. And then obviously, they're, they're doing it a lot less. And I think it's just, um, you know, they run empty a lot more often this year. So I think they kind of are forcing him to get rid of the ball quickly. And he's responding. You know, he's got, you know, the second or third PFF grade on non-play action dropbacks, which that, I think that was kind of the, the key to unlocking who he could be or kind of the best version of him, right? Is that, you know, he can do all of these things um, in, in specific contexts that we've been talking about that quarterbacks need to do more often. He needs to operate and play action a lot more. He needs to have motion. He needs to do this and that. And he's consistently been better than his peers at those things. But when you put him outside of that on standard dropbacks, um, is he going to perform? And this year he has. 
Um, and he's also performed in, in areas where I think he's been subject to a lot of very fair criticism, like situational football, like two minute drills, yeah. right? Certainly in this last game where he get, you know, oh, leads yeah. this incredible drive almost entirely out of empty. And then freaking Greg Joseph shanks another field goal. And then he does it again. I mean, uh, which, yeah, this has always been the Kirk Cousins criticism. Like, can you do it outside of the system you described? And can you actually not like wilt in big moments? And, um, we're talking about week six against the Carolina Panthers, so I'm not saying anything, but... but the Panthers' defense heading into yeah, this they're game good. was quite good. Quite yeah, good. So I was really that. impressed and then you by the Vikings' at- offensive line, by the way, Reef, in this game, given how good the Panthers' pass rush has been. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the top pass rushes in the NFL. I think heading into the game, they were like third or something in pressure rate. They're, they're like incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean... You take a look at some of the drives this year because the Vikings have only been in close games except against Seattle. Um, Partially the Vikings' fault because they've let teams back in, um, and that has very little to do with Kirk Cousins, like a Dalvin Cook fumble or Alexander Madison fumble or a weird set of penalties or something like that. But um, they've they've been put in a lot of situations where Cousins has to lead a two-minute drive. And in the failed two-minute drives and the failed comeback drives, it's been outside of Cousins' control. It's been a missed kick, which... Um, at not just the Panthers game, but other missed kicks and other games. It's been a Dalvin Cook fumble. Um, it, it's not been Cousins who has kind of let them down in that two-minute drill. Whereas in the past, it, it very much has been. He's lacked urgency. He didn't have very much clock awareness. He was too willing to take the middle of the field on a running clock. Um, and while that last one is still kind of true, it still kind of annoys me that he does this a little bit too often, um, he's, he does a lot better in terms of getting to the sideline, pushing it a little bit further downfield, understanding that, you know, eight yards, uh, in the first quarter is not the same as eight yards with 40 seconds, uh, 46 seconds left. Um, so he's performing in that situation. And I think part of it is just because now that the offense is what it is, like can operate in two minute. Now he doesn't have a sea change when they go from a standard offense to his two minute offense. I think it's very similar to what the offense is for the rest of the game. And that might be what's helping him is hmm. that. Now that it's no longer this, you know, play action, because you can't do play action in two minutes. Now that it's no longer this play action heavy offense in 12 personnel. Now the way that he's seeing the field is very much like it is in the rest of the game. And that might be what's helping him in these situations. Huh. But yeah, very weird team. Because I mean, fascinating. No, I, I have, love it. That's, five close games. I feel like of all the discussions that l- the last three minutes have been the most clarifying because we just, the whole Saints discussion, we're like, eh, there's a lot of injuries. I don't know. And this is actually extremely useful for me personally to hear you explain <laughs> what I'm saying. No, um, I, 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 that's a really astute point. I, I feel better about the Vikings offense going forward than the Vikings defense for basically the same reasons as the Titans. I mean, like you said, you brought up the, uh, the, you cover a team that needs a corner. Um, although I actually think that Vikings front seven, well, I don't know. Landry's been playing so good. I was going to say, but, but as a whole, it's weird. How it's, well, like how how did Everson Griffin go back to being good? <laughs> I don't know. Man. Can we talk about um, that? That was another thing that like shocked me in this game. Um, there, yeah, we have, we've had two weeks in a row where we come in on Monday and we're like, hey, so Everson Griffin, um, he's played a lot of snaps, and they're like, yeah, we got to get that down. And then next week he plays like eighty percent of snaps, and they're like, yeah, that's not ideal. We got to get that down. But when you're in close games, you put your best players in, right? So th- I think that's part of it. But um. Yeah, he's playing lights out. He didn't play like this last year. Uh, and uh, and his ability to get pressure is great. He's, uh, he's dropped off against the run. Like at his peak with the Vikings, he was a really high-level run defender, except on like options where I think like the best quarterback option highlights are against him. Um, but you know, for the most part, he was pretty good at setting the edge. This year, that's less of a strength of his, but the rest of the Vikings are kind of catching up uh, and, and helping him out there. Um, but yeah, Daniil Hunter is taking on double teams at, at a somewhat high rate. I think that um, he's taking more chips than double teams. That doesn't always show up in, in ESPN's double team statistics stuff, but he's taking on you know extra blockers and, and drawing attention. And then Michael Pierce, when he's healthy, is a remarkable pass rusher as a nose tackle, which I don't yeah. think I ever saw. That, was, was, a, a, that was such a big loss last year. And I think it's kind of like the almost like... DJ Reader, where like, yeah. you know, it was like underestimated, like, oh no, this is, yeah, as it often is with big men on the inside. I don't think like we as a public really appreciate how impactful they are when they don't like put up crazy stats. But when he opted out, I was like, oh, right. Wait, well, it's, it's blocking mm-hmm. math, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's, yeah, teams, it's totally numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Teams, when they run the ball, will very often do a box count and see do they have as many blockers as there are defenders? If so, let's run the ball. And if you've got a nose tackle that takes on two blocks, that's it. You've you've ruined exactly. the math. 
And so Simple as that. uh, that's been a big part of helping, you know, Eric Hendricks, uh, you know, be effective in the run game. It's helped, you know, Nick Vigil's not a very good run defender. It's helped him, you know, generate some tackles for loss. Uh, Anthony Barr just came back um, and his first game back, he was kind of weird in terms of his movement. And mm-hmm. I mean that in terms of like he was, he was stiff moving in some directions and not others and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it kind of helped him out. So having, having players that can occupy those blocks, um, has been really big in their ability to defend the run, which, you know, obviously it's the Zimmer defense. They emphasize that a lot, but then they get to third downs and they're one of the only consistent third down defenses that the NFL has, um, number one in, in third down conversion rate, um, over basically any span of time during the Zimmer era. Um, but yeah, 2017 and now they're number one, 33.5%. And it's just something they do very well. They, they look, well, especially this year compared to last year. And I think, um, it is really similar to the Titans for me, or even that, like I'm not schematically, it's very different, but like the safeties are the strength of the secondary and the corners are what give me pause hmm. when I try to get my arms around this team, because I do not think I'll get a lot of teams. Yeah. I, I, I just, um, I don't think they're You couldn't great. figure out what to say, and you just you stuck with the arms thing. Yeah, I know. No, the, the I, can't, I can't get a read uh, on it. How about that? But yeah, so... Um, yeah. yeah, so... Well, Patrick Peterson's been playing well, and now he's on IR. And yes, so that is with, what I was going to get to. Yes, so they might also be yeah. in the market, do you think, potentially, for a corner? I, I think possibly, for sure. I think that... First of all, the Vikings are very happy to make trades for players <laughs> when they feel like they need it. Um, you know, we were just able to talk to Spielman and I was like, hey, Van, so you've I, I wasn't this casual, but I was like, hey, you you just traded for, uh, you know, Chris Herndon. You've previously you've traded for Unique Ngakwe, you traded for Sam Bradford, like all right before the season um, in response to injury. You know, is that smart? It feels like that hasn't worked out. Uh <laughs> And he's like, yeah, some of them work out, some of them don't. And I was like, all right, fine. That's the answer I'm going to get. But that's something that they do. Uh, I don't know. Cornerbacks a little bit tougher because you really need them, you know, in the system, especially with Zimmer. Like, I think you look at first year corners and Zimmer, whether it's free agency or the draft, and they struggle in that first year typically. Um, And like that was true for Captain Munderland. It was true for, you know, Trey Waynes. It basically has just been essentially true. Um, and, and that would make it tough, but I I still think that if they have an opportunity to grab a guy that they think might know the system, um, that they're going to try and do that because not having Peterson for it's three games, not three weeks, which is a very weird rule, but not having Peterson for four weeks, comma, three games, um, is going to be a problem. And then I don't know that they can reliably trust Bashad Breland. He's had, he had a really good game this past week and that's it. I think the rest of his games have been a lot of struggles, a lot of blown coverages, the Vikings don't have a single corner that can deal with speed. Uh, and so, you know, you go into the playoffs and there's going to be a deep threat. I don't know who you put them up against because uh, Cameron Dancer uh, has added weight and, uh, you know, they do that to increase his like persistence, right? His durability. But he clearly doesn't have speed when that happens. Rashad Breland is not a 4 3 guy. Patrick Peterson is no longer a 4 3 guy. So I don't know what they do against speed. And that was very evident in um, the training camp practices that they had against the Broncos. They've got all kinds of speed on that team. Um, so much that they were able to trade away Trinity Benson, I think. So, uh, and so, yeah, yeah, I, I I don't know what to do with that cornerback group. Xavier Woods is playing well. Harrison Smith is playing well at safety. But yeah, I, I feel like they need to add a guy. A lot of teams need to add a guy. Well, the Vikings, I, I, we should note, um, according to Football Outsiders, uh, future schedule strength has them having, they have them having the third hardest schedule going forward. Not great behind the bears and, and Packers, NFC North really. Yeah. I got the Ravens, coming uh, up, the Cowboys, they got the chargers. Yeah. Rams, and then like, I should have mentioned the Titans have very easy schedule because they exist in the AFC South. So that should certainly help them yeah. uh, as a matter of things. So I, I, I'm at a point right now where I really enjoy watching Vikings football um, because of what they're doing on offense. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, so, I feel like a lot yeah. of neutrals can say that. I don't know that Vikings fans have enjoyed the, the podcast questions <laughs> I get when people like send in mailbag questions or like, did this? Why did this win feel like a loss? Arizona too. It's like, yeah, but all right, all right. Let's, so all my MVP questions I'm gonna have in the end now uh, in Dinks and Dunks. Dinks and Dunks are part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. 
And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? As always, four questions from me, one from Lenny. I'm going to start here. Derrick Henry. So I've got the uh, latest M- uh, MVP odds in front of me. These are from Bovada. And it goes, I'll just read them in, in order till we get to Henry. Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Derrick Henry. Okay, don't worry about everyone I just said for Derrick Henry because we are going to talk about that. So I've always been like, oh, well, you know, the running back isn't actually the most valuable player on the team. And, you know, MVP is a semantic thing, right? Like MVP debates are because are we talking about value to a team? Who's on the best team? Who's the most dominant in their position? It can mean a number of things. But I, as I'm watching Henry I, I, this year and just taking stock of what he's doing, or if historically it's so unprecedented for a running back to get the sort of volume he does and then repeat the sort of performance he has. I'm sure everyone who listens to this knows, typically once a running back has 300 carries, they fall off a cliff next season. Uh, If you have 2,000 yards, pretty much every season they've gone down and he's on pace to go up again. I just feel like that should be rewarded. I'm not saying he should be the MVP, but I just, he is, and this isn't a, by the way, like anti-nerd take, I'm calling him an outlier, man. Like this dude is doing something no one in football has ever done before. So first quick MVP take. I hate the word value. I think you should just give it to the best player in the NFL. Most dominant It could be a center. Yeah. 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 It could be a center. It could be uh, a cornerback. It could be a running back. I don't care. We already have like an all pro that recognizes the best quarterback. So I just feel like having the word it would just be the best rookie or the best rookie contract quarterback if we really wanted to to nail what mvp meant but yeah um no derrick henry is playing uh, out of his mind i think the one thing that um would make it a little bit easier for me to be like super on board with this and i haven't checked his like success rate which i'm sure i could do um is if he was just slightly more consistent right because he's a very explosive runs kind of guy Um, you know, it's not as if, you know, I think he leads the league in first downs on rushing. So it's not as if he's inconsistent, right? That's not the case. Um, but a lot of his value is generated on these explosive runs. And then the down to down stuff is good. Like it's not bad, right? It's good. And I, if it was a little bit more consistent, it would be way easier to say, yeah, this dude matters because then you could say on every single drive, that the reason for success had something to do with him. That's fair. Whereas on on some of these drives that they're going three and out, you know, Henry gets like, you know, two yards, well, right? This is why I always and said like so, Nick Chubb was like the better pure runner because of the consistency. Yeah. yeah? But yeah, last year, yeah. Last yeah. year I would have said Chubb was probably more but valuable. Not, man. Like I just I just I'm taking off my someone's gonna burst in here and take my pocket protector. I don't care. This dude is one of the coolest <laughs> football players I've ever seen play the game. I just yeah, I'm I making I think more of like a Hall of Fame case than an MVP case right now. I realize no, that. That's fine. That's fine. I think if we shifted MVP to coolest player, that would be awesome as well. I don't, I fundamentally do not care about the value. Do, do you feel though MVP, the way so. I do though, where like this guy is like just a total unicorn in terms yeah, of the no, production? Pounds running, like he led, he's led the league in How do you do fastest or top, top don't, max speed or something like this that. This doesn't happen. What he's doing does not happen. I just, okay. Question two. Yeah. Going by your definition of best player, um, which of the quarterbacks do you think deserves it right now? If you had to give it right now to one of them, uh, best player right now, mm-hmm. and I, I guess I wouldn't give him the All Pro quarterback. So I'm already doubling back on my <laughs> on my uh, on my definition. The best player right now might be Kyler Murray um, at quarterback, that? but. Could, could be Dak. Could be no. That was the other one. Yeah, I see it um, as. But yeah, I, 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 I think. Yeah. I think if I were to vote like on an MVP ballot, where I know that I can't, mm-hmm. you know, vote for Aaron Donald or whatever, um, or that it, I would just be throwing my vote away, um, I would. I might vote for Matthew Stafford because his production <gasps> has been superior. <gasps> wow. See, I, I feel know. like right now yeah, what, watching, there's like, just such a, I, gosh, I feel like just based on, there's the top four right now with the quarterbacks for me, Murray, Dak, Brady, um, and Lamar, but um, not everyone sees it that Stafford, way. Stafford's leading the league in adjusted net yards per attempt. I know, but he's had and I think he's halves got, in games where I'm like, eh. he has. Yeah. I feel like he's got more production huh. to unlock too, because 
They haven't. Another thing about the the play action stuff, they haven't been running play action very often relative to what they typically do too. Um, and Stafford's very good at right. play action. His play action rate has increased since his time in Detroit because it would have to. <laughs> yeah, but, that's a whole separate conversation. I want to have a little yeah, bit later like, about got, like, play action in the Rams. Touchdowns. That's, that's third in the league. You know, he's got the highest touchdown percentage. All right. Um, he's avoiding sacks. Uh, I think what well, he's got the best sack rate or second best sack rate to Taylor Heineke, which is a very funny person to put him next to. Uh, okay, cool. Um, but yeah. Mm. I, I, I feel like fine, that's fine. he's playing super it. well. He's playing super well. Okay. Question three. Who do you think is the first non quarterback, not named Derrick Henry on this list of odds? Non quarterback, non Derrick Henry. Yeah. Cause I already told you Derrick Henry's on it. So yeah. Um, I mean, that just screams running back to me. So I'm thinking like maybe Jonathan Taylor. Uh, cause I don't think it's like Dalvin Taylor. Um, what? What well, he's playing really well, right? Yeah, but this he is this is MVP odds. This is not reflecting like know, football but... reality. You're you got okay, to think okay, narrative. Okay, right, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, gosh. Uh, now, now in my head, I'm just like, who who have people been hyper focusing on? It has to be an offensive player, right? Just guess. Um, I Thursday Lenny. That's a funny one. It's Zeke. Oh, what? Yeah, I know. I'm kidding. All right. Question four. I know. Question four. No, 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 no. You agree with me that Tony Pollard's playing better than Zeke, right? I think Zeke's, I think they're both playing really, really well, but I think ultimately, like, the Dallas offensive line is so dominant right now. Like, that's probably who should, it should just say Dallas offensive line, which gets Lyle Collins back. That's wild. Okay. Uh, I, question four, I'm just going to ask you to pick a game that I'm struggling with, and you don't have to give me your justification or reason. I just want an answer. Um, Colts Niners. Just help, help, help me out. Uh, Colts. Yeah, I think the Colts too, I but I didn't feel great. I didn't feel great about it. Didn't feel great about it. I don't know. Niners games this year are so hard to pick like Saints games. Saints yeah. and the Niners, the two teams that I'm just like, Ugh. no, thank you. Um, okay. Last question as <laughs> always comes from Lenny. Um, so Lenny did a little bit of research, deep dive into the internet and he found a clip of you uh, he tells me it's college debate, and he actually supplied the audio. So let's listen to it. Very much for life support and confrontations led to continued positive and super positive cycle. Otherwise, it's simply a type of consequence of debate. A large fraction of the liberals from the high road. Wait, this is like we launched the 36th summer launch of warning water. Liberal world left 50 million tons of cost and temperature from 40 degrees because of rabbit. So, Reef, Lenny's question is, how many drugs were you on when you did that? I was on zero drugs, and I will say that allegedly the debate community has thought about this, and some people have performed controlled scientific experiments, <laughs> and uh, drugs absolutely do not help. <laughs> so, because uh, one element of this is that um, you have to be clear, which I know sounds crazy based off of what we just heard, but <laughs> uh, judges can understand what you're saying at that speed because they used to debate and they've been around debate a long time. And so they can tell when you're like slurring the words, the words are on top of each mm-hmm. other or you're missing syllables and stuff like that. Um, and so if you're on, say, a non-caffeine stimulant, um, it can actually inhibit your ability to, to hit those speeds at a rate that's useful for you. So I got my nerd credentials taken away from me with that Derrick Henry MVP talk. But just by association of having you on this podcast, I think I just got them back. So thanks for that. 